Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. She is a professor of psychology, a researcher with over 140 peer-reviewed publications, and the co-author of the book, The Better Brain. Welcome to the show, Julia Rucklidge. How are you doing today? Absolutely. Now, you're living in this world, and I'm going to toss out some very startling stats and numbers here that mental health disorders alone are estimated to cost the global economy about $5 trillion U.S. dollars per year. And that's projected to go up to $16 trillion by 2030. Uh, the total social and economic cost of ADHD in Australia alone is estimated to be around $21 billion. And all sorts of other mind-blowing stats. And yeah, we can look at numbers, but these are people. And you're trying to make a difference in their lives. Uh, what are you doing? What is your main focus? Oh, well, I could take the entire time answering your question, David. <laughs> um, but I will try to keep it um, succinct. Let's see how we can how we go. Um, okay, so I'm a clinical psychologist by training. I did my training at the University of Calgary, so not that far from where you are, I think. Because where you're, right. where are you located? You're... I'm in uh, central Alberta, so Red Deer, Sylvan Lake area. Oh, right. and, That's uh, right. Yeah, okay. About an hour so, away. All right. Well, I spent some time in that wonderful province um, nice. and did my PhD with Bonnie Kaplan, who you have had on the show. So your listeners might have heard that particular podcast and hear about um, the work she and I have been doing. Yes. As a clinical psychologist, you are dealing with people at the bottom of the cliff. And I didn't appreciate that at the time because you kind of have this. I don't know, this naive understanding of what psychiatric disorders are, that it's just, a, it's something that happens to you. It's not, um, you know, oftentimes you, you hear about these, you know, genetic factors, these things that are completely out of your control, and that you develop these disorders, and then you need someone to treat you. And so a clinical psychologist is there to uh, help people who are at that, who have developed, um, a, you know, severe psychiatric symptoms and need help in terms of turning that around. Um, so you sit alongside a very medical model, um, even though I don't think psychologists would have necessarily like to see it that way, but they are. They're a medical model yes. in that they are waiting for pathology to, to develop and then they're treating it. And that's very much alongside, you know, uh, you know, the, a lot of the medicines that are used um, from, from uh, you know, if you were to see a psychiatrist, it would be the same sort of perspective, which is that we don't we don't treat people who are well, we treat people who are unwell. So um, when I was introduced to the idea that nutrition and nutrients, vitamins and minerals, could potentially alleviate suffering, I was really interested. Um, more whoa, so whoa, from hold, the hold on, oh. this does sound a little little strange. A clinical psychologist. Yep. Mm -hmm. Going into the nutritional realm. I know. Uh, okay. What was I this sparking episode? I skipped a few here? beats. 
there. I, I tried to be quick and summarize. Um, okay, then I'll back up a little bit. I heard about f- uh, families in Southern Alberta uh, who were using nutrients to treat psychiatric disorders, uh, okay. schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, mood disorders. I heard wow. about them through Bonnie Kaplan who had been approached by these families who were using nutrients. At the time I was just finishing up my PhD, um, while it did not sit with my training, which was that nutrition was irrelevant to to brain health, uh, so very standard uh, conventional uh, um, program. Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new, higher level than ever before? Then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. While it did not sit with my training, which was that nutrition was irrelevant to to brain health, uh, so very standard uh, conventional a, um, program. I, I nevertheless have great respect for Bonnie. And so as a, she was always an incredible, solid supervisor, thoughtful, um, intelligent, um, applying science, uh, scientific method to ask questions. So right. when she started to get interested in that, I certainly didn't dismiss her because I had this foundation of having experienced her as a very reasonable um, individual who would not just dive into something and start exploring something um, that didn't uh, have some potential of making some sense from a biological perspective, but also that it could potentially be a a treatment. From where I come in from doing the science was that I I heard about this, but then I moved on. I went, I moved to um, Toronto and I did my internship at the Toronto Hospital. And then I did a postdoc at the Hospital for Sick Children. And so I got diverted in finishing up my training as a clinical psychologist. And then I moved to New Zealand. So I got a job at the, as a, a, to teach child clinical psychology um, in the clinical program here at the University of Canterbury. So um, but nevertheless, I stayed in touch with Bonnie. My All my in-laws are from Calgary, so we would be constantly going back there. Um, and so I'd always connect and catch up with Bonnie. And she'd always say, Julia, you should really study this. It's really interesting. <laughs> yes. And so by the time she came to New Zealand to present some of these data in 2003, I, you know, she'd, she'd been working on me for probably a while of sending me data and things like that. By then I had come to that conclusion that I think many people get to in their career, but perhaps I'd gotten there a little bit earlier, which was that we're not doing well enough for the people who struggle with psychiatric disorders. So despite the best treatment, despite the psychotherapy or, and, or the medications, not enough people getting well. And now two decades later, you see that, well, we have a mental health crisis and not a people, not enough people are getting well. And all we seem to be doing is just throwing more money at the problem, trying, thinking that the best solution is just, we need more clinical psychologists. We need more psychiatrists. We need more people at the bottom of the cliff without stepping back and going, actually, maybe our model is wrong. So at, in 2003, 2004, when I, you, she came out here, well, she, in 2003, she came out here, and then I continued to, you know, to learn more about it. I thought, well, what do I have to lose? Why don't I do some clinical trials in New Zealand? 
the advantage of doing this research in New Zealand is that you're not so much under the radar of big pharma. So Bonnie had a oh, terrible really? time. Wow. Yep. Yes. Yeah, that's, yes. That's, that's what I interesting was... because New Zealand is one of the few countries that allows to... pharma mm-hmm. advertising. I know. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Um, but we're also a small country. So if, you know, if there's a researcher that's doing something over here that it didn't come on, it come, it was just, I I think under the radar, whereas Bonnie was very visible trying to do this work in Canada and health Canada um, noticed to paid attention. And, and, you know, I'm sure she talked about some of this of just shutting, shutting down some of the research she was doing. So um, I approached it. I, you know, I had a look at how do I do this research in New Zealand? And it was, in fact, the path was quite clear. Um, I didn't need to register it as a medicine using the supplements. I could, as long as I didn't, as long as I didn't um, claim therapeutic benefit. And at the time I was like, oh, that's interesting. What's that all about? Very right. naive on how things were being, reg- how supplements get regulated in New Zealand. Yes. So as long as I didn't prove that they worked, then I was fine. So that was okay for the first five or six years while we collected data. Um, But after running our first randomized control trial and publishing it um, in 2014, which was on ADHD um, in adults and showing efficacy because it was a placebo-controlled trial, um, once we published that, um, and then I petitioned against a national health products bill that was trying to be put forward to limit the doses of nutrients, similar to what's happened in Canada. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, then, it is insane. Yeah. Yes. Then, mm-hmm. um, and we're about to deal have that happen here. So, um, oh, wow. but that was when um, I became to the attention of the Ministry of Health. So that's so they they attempted to close down our trials that were running at that point because not because it was dangerous, but because we had shown therapeutic benefit. And when you show therapeutic benefit, that makes it a medicine under legally under the law. And so it can no longer be a supplement. It's now a medicine. And I hadn't registered it as a medicine. I hadn't for research purposes. And therefore, they wanted to, they, they said, well, we're going to have to shut you down. So I had to go through the incredibly difficult process of registering the supplements as a research product from, as a a medicine for research purposes only. Wow! So that was back in 2000. Goodness. When did that happen to us? That was just insane. That was around 2016, 2017, 2017. So we were just getting, we had a number of studies going um, where we had to put it all on hold and deal with this problem. You know, fortunately, they realized that, I think, but I'm just guessing, they might have realized that there were a sufficient backing of this research by the consumers in New Zealand that they couldn't get away with just ignoring me. So they worked with me to get it sorted. So we wow. now run our clinical trials. You, I mean, it, it makes it just complicated, though, because we show therapeutic benefit. I'm allowed to show therapeutic benefit, but the product can't be sold <laughs> that way. <laughs> so anyway, it's 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 insane. But I don't know if I fully answered your question um, 
about the statistics. Um, so all of that. Well, though, well before we go yeah. into the statistics, let's talk about this side of research uh, because yeah. there is a lot of public doubt now in research, in science, with everything that's gone on. And especially if you're out to enhance performance or to do it with nutrition or something natural. Um, mm -hmm. So what are kind of these, you mentioned the blocks you've gone through. What, what are some of the other stories of other researchers being shut down or, or being caught in this web? And uh, how much good science is being thrown out because of this bureaucracy? Um, I have no idea because they I guess they get shut down, so you never hear about them. You certainly hear about functional doctors, you know, functional physicians having a really right. hard time with their colleagues or being reported to the the you know the New Zealand Medical Board or whatever it's called, you know, whatever the professional body is, not because they've done harm to their patients, but because they think these people shouldn't be practicing medicine the way they're practicing it. So I've heard of stories right. like that. Um, that have happened. In terms of research, I just think people, researchers, look at this and they don't want to have a bar of it because they it's complicated. It's not one single molecule. We are taking the approach that there is no one single nutrient that's rel that's important. They're all collectively important together, synergistically. The right. way the body works is that they yes. work together. So, you know, making serotonin requires all of these different cofactors, vitamins and minerals, and so therefore to just give one is actually makes no sense. It's a completely illogical. So, um, I, but that well, makes how it more are you able to do that through your research? Because to be honest with a lot of these studies, they're expensive. And usually it's basically one pill, one symptom type research. Yes. And that's become the gold standard. How yes. are you doing that now with multiple different uh, molecules or micronutrients yeah. in a research that's showing synergy and effectiveness? How, well, it makes, um, how are we doing it? Um, well, being particularly clever with money, I think is <laughs> one way I've, I've managed to do it, but also because of the funding, the way um, scientists are funded in New Zealand is that I am not, my salary at a university is not dependent on me getting grants. So oh. yes, I get grants, but I don't necessarily get overheaded grants. If you're in the U.S. in particular, you really basically need to get overheaded grants or else you're out. So right. we don't have a tenured system here. So you you don't that you're not. I don't know. I mean, to, and we know that tenure is very much reliant on getting grants and um, that kind of funding, whereas that system doesn't exist in New Zealand. Um, and my, you know, my salary is essentially paid by the fact that I also teach. So I teach large okay. undergraduate um, courses. And so um, that is a method of funding. We have good government support for universities. So it's, I don't have that same level of pressure to get those overheaded grants. And as soon as you take out the overheaded grant component, then it becomes much cheaper to run studies. So um, my, my work is entirely independent of the companies that make the nutrients. So I haven't come up with a nutrient formula. I've been continuing to study the formula that has been developed in Alberta for the most part. 
It's not that I, you know, that that one's particularly special. It's just mm-hmm. that they developed a formula that was specific for psychiatric disorders, whereas a lot right. of companies don't do that. So you're kind of limited um, with your choice as somebody who's not into deciding, developing a pharmacy, you know, a, a nutritional supplement. It's not, not what I want to do. Right. So. And in fact, so, you're in the micronutrient side of it. So mm-hmm, uh, can mm-hmm. you just explain to the listeners the difference between maybe a drug supplement and micronutrient then? Um, a drug supplement. I'm not sure what a drug supplement no, is. Do you a, mean a drug, a, uh, a supplement yeah. or a micronutrient? Ah, micro, oh, the ones. Yeah. So a drug would be something like um, uh, Prozac. Is that what you mean? Prozac, which would... would I mean, we know it influences the serotonergic system um, at the synaptic level and influences the amount of the availability of, of serotonin at that level. So it can af- affect neuronal um, connections and uh, com- com- communication between one neuron and another. Right. Your supplement that you purchase in um, a supermarket is typically below the recommended dietary allowance. So it's in very, very small doses. And they're developed for ensuring that we don't develop frank nutritional deficiencies like scurvy or, um, you know, rickets, but they're not um, at doses that are about optimizing brain function. The brain is not taken into consideration in the development of the RDAs. RDAs are quite outdated. Um, They do need to be revisited. Um, They're way too low. But that's the supplement. And but the supermarket su- supplements, um, they thrive uh, because they are used as an insurance policy by people, I guess. And, <laughs> well, and some well let's be honest on the supermarket supplements. A lot of them are garbage. <laughs> that, well, yeah, if, I guess if you're never, having your supplement with a piece of sugar and a gummy, exactly. it, it's yes. not a good supplement. And uh, I, I agree being a that. functional medicine practitioner when I was in the U.S., uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we were using pretty high doses of things because people can't absorb things. So the RDAs exactly. really don't work for people. It's what changes the physiology, the blood tests. And exactly. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. And then but the I, micronutrient never... side's exciting hmm. too. Let's let's dive into that side. Yeah. So I mean I was just gonna say that I never say that supplements at the supermarkets are no good. And the reason I do that is that they just haven't been studied. So I guess okay. I, I, I reserve judgment. <laughs> but I would hypothesize that they probably wouldn't make a difference because of the dose. So the supplements that we study, the micronutrients that we study, are in doses typically above that RDA and below right. usually below the, the upper limit, um, which is a number that sort of contrived based on single supplement research to say we, we know it's safe at this level if you go above it then you you might increase the likelihood of a, a dangerous not necessarily dangerous side effect but a side effect like flushing or um, diarrhea okay, yeah. kind of thing. so well, you can get flushing from gas station bought supplements there's the energy ones out there which give okay. nice flushes i didn't like, know that okay yeah. <laughs> so fair enough it's a yeah. strange world and uh, i've seen uh, studies that I call made to fail studies that they yes. take say vitamin Correct. D in a dosage that is so small, you'd never mm-hmm. have an effective study. Um, I agree. You've seen that as well, right? I have seen, I have seen all, or they use non-clinical populations to see whether or not 
you can make an effect, have an effect on mood when no one has a mood problem in the first place. So I've certainly seen right. a lot of that. And that oh, also wow. discredits the um, whole, all this good science that we're trying to do, because then that kind of study comes out and then they just say supplements don't work or the expensive urine or whatever. And you get these big headlines and the media love it. And oh, then you kind of just go, oh my goodness, this was so poorly done. And then I have to spend my entire day writing blogs <laughs> or whatever, or Facebook posts to just show that this was a really bad study. So right. it is an incredible waste of my time when that happens. But I also feel that as a scientist, it's our role to make sure that we um, we are that filter um, and and present the science uh, in its you know in terms of the, its legitimacy and whether or not we can uh, really draw massive conclusions from these studies or not. Right. So now, yeah, what are some of these conclusions then? Uh, yeah, what have uh, from you been our work. From our work, do you mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think the conclusion there's it's varied. I mean, when our I, I'll, I'll I'll stick to our randomized control trials that are placebo controlled because that's viewed as the gold standard. Um, I I think they're they're very tough to do because um, particularly in this space because it's based a lot on self report. People get better when they come into a clinical trial, so you end up with a very quick drop in symptoms. That's just based on the, I think, the care, the hope, um, even just, you know, we're doing this, this study at the moment with adolescents. And I, I sometimes wonder if these teens kind of want, want to get better because, with nutrients, because then it'll prove to their parents that they're not just, you know, horrible children. <laughs> but, oh, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go on at that, that unconscious level that Absolutely. can lead to, uh, to healing or permission yes. to heal. So it's, so I just want to put that out there that placebo control trials are very difficult, are complicated and it is, it is difficult, but regardless of how strong that placebo effect is, we have shown superiority of the nutrients over placebo in um, addressing a number of different things. We target um, psychiatric disorders, or at least we initially started targeting psychiatric disorders like ADHD and showed that um, based on in these that adult study that I talked about that we published over almost 10 years ago, we showed um, benefit of the nutrients for um, attention, hyperactivity, impulsivity. It varied depending on who was the reporter. Um, so we had self-report and an observer report and clinician report. But, okay. um, but we did see, uh, we saw effects of the nutrients over placebo in helping ADHD symptoms. But what was, I think, more important finding from that initial study and has influenced the later studies was that the clinic, clinician global um, impression, which is the CGI, it's a measure, it's kind of a global measure of, is this person any better relative to how they were when they first came in? So you're, you're assessing as a clinician, hopefully someone who's seen lots of different people struggling with mental health issues, is this person functionally better? Are they sleeping better? Are they coping better with the adversity of life? Are they less stressed? Is their mood stable? So you're considering the individual, not their ADHD symptoms. When we think of the person like that, then we really see the differences between the um, the uh, the the active and the placebo. It it comes through um, more robustly, 
And then we, we saw, saw that with the ADHD children as well. And then there was a replication that was done by Jenny Johnston that came out uh, 2022 on micronutrients with kids with ADHD and dysregulated mood. So we, we do see this sort of a pattern of this um, a global functioning seeming to get better, which is, makes sense. Yes. When you think about what the nutrients are doing, the nutrients aren't going, oh, that's the ADHD part of your brain and we're going to like <laughs> fix that or, you know, it's not like that. It's going to, it's like a metabolic tune up. It provides the nutrients that are essential for making all of those neurotransmitters, but it's more than that. It doesn't just address and make sure that the body has sufficient nutrients to make these very important messaging um, chemicals, but it also um, will influence and, and support the mitochondria so that you have you can make ATP so your energy is better. So we hear all the time about energy getting better and brain fog going away. So what is that about? Is that a is that support of the mitochondrial function? Uh, we hear about things like um, and we also have seen this actually. Uh, no, sorry, I was going to say we hear about. Um, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, what else are the micronutrients doing at a sort of a, a cellular level? Okay. They might support uh, the methylation cycle. So the methylation cycle, well known for producing these uh, carbon CH3 methyl molecules, which simplistically stated as a psychologist, um, yes. uh, have an influence on uh, on uh, whether or not a gene is red or not red, or, t or whether or not you are allowing the genetic material to be red or tightly coiled up. So it influences I the coiling. I love that description of methylation. It, it really is kind of an on-off or buffer kind of thing. Yes, if it was, yeah, if exactly. It, like if it was a guitar, it would kind of be the, the strut. Yeah, a very yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. So, so we've got evidence that, and we've published this, that we showed a change in methylation globally across the genome. So we see greater methylation happening. Is that good or bad? We don't know. But the fact that it's, have, it's, it's having an epigenetic effect is really, was actually, in my opinion, groundbreaking in that we yes. detected that in a very small sample of kids with ADHD with the exposure of the micronutrients versus placebo. Wow. So and that's, with this study, that's happening. Not, not, not to cut you off from your train of thought here, but with this study, um, they're just added micronutrients into their yep. regular diet. Um, Correct. You haven't made any diet changes yet with them. No changes. No, no. Wow. And so that's a really good point, though, David, is that if we th um, th think about this is my journey. I'm a clinical psychologist. Diet means is I'm taught diet is irrelevant. I right. then do these studies on vitamins and minerals. I really, at the beginning, I'm like, what do these things do? Like, you just, you're just like in the dark. Then I start to learn. Obviously, we, we see these positive effects. So, so I think, goodness, I have to upskill here. I need to learn about what they're doing, which I've just kind of, kind of talked and spoken to you about. But yes. really, it's proof of principle. It's proof of principle that the nutrient supply in the diet is not sufficient. So then, so when I started to think of it that way, I thought, well, but hold on, don't most people eat a healthy diet? Like, aren't they? I mean, I just had this sort of assumption and totally naive perspective on food, the food environment. 
So um, I had to learn upskill a lot. And so in the writing of The Better Brain, I think that's really where the penny dropped for me was the data that showed that half of the calories are coming from ultra processed products. And I kind of, I almost, I had to learn what is this? What exactly is an ultra processed product? I know it sounds terrible, but I'm, I'm the first to say I'm one of those kids who grew up in an environment where ultra processed foods were really taking off, you know, the Cheerios putting sugar all over your food, you know, your cereals and just the, the, the convenience of takeaways and um, ready-made meals and all of that, that made life easier for a single mother. So you're, I'm, I grew up in that kind of environment. So to me, that food was, was healthy. So I've had to read, that was normal. So I, and it's become even more and more. I mean, you think about that and it was probably actually, it is healthy relative to some of the crap people are eating (laughs) now. So, um, but I've had to, I've had to learn a lot about food and I, you know, I'm, I am definitely the first to admit that. And, um, but in writing the book, um, we, I, I learned about these data and that's really what, what struck a chord for me was that in fact, people aren't eating this healthy diet and that the dietary guidelines are really not helpful and they're not focused on micronutrients and they're all focused about carbs, proteins, and and fats. And in fact, telling you not to eat things that we know actually our our ancestors ate and it was absolutely fine. (laughs) So, you know, so just just this kind of really uh, in massively influenced by the food industry and profit. So it's um, so where was I going with that? Was that um, that here well, we let's, do this? Let's go into this that we can just put micronutrients into the foods and yes. they could be on an ultra yes, processed diet. diet and we're still making them better. So exactly. There's, like, exactly. there's centuries worth of research here left. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. But but I what it does as I going back to my point of the proof of principle yes. and and now saying actually now I have to look at what we I I need to better understand the diet is that yes, you're right. We did not manipulate diet. So we all, all we did was ensure that the dietary patterns between the two groups was similar. And so we it couldn't be that it was change in diet that drove right. these changes. I mean, it's quite interesting. That's kind of like in, in getting the reviews back from, from, you know, when you send it out for review and you get all the reviewer comments, that's often something they'd say was like, how do you know that they didn't just improve your diet? And I kind of go back and say, uh, that's why you do randomization. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the purpose. And you'd never ask right. that of a drug trial as to why yes. people get better, you would never do that. So why is no. that particular, you know, uh, criteria being applied to my work when it doesn't actually apply to any pharmaceutical? Because the same thing could be happening in other trials, right? So, um, but that's the that's what randomization does is it controls for all of that. So anyway, I've had just crazy stuff thrown back at me. I mean, just, just where you, you think these people have lost the plot. They are trying so hard to find, find a reason why, these effects didn't, don't exist there. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I, I mean, I could talk what, about What were forever. a few of the others? I, I'm, I'm really interested in these. Oh, these... in, in criticisms. Yeah. I mean, there, it, it's, it, to be honest, David, it's endless. I could write a book about this. It's just right. crazy. Um, just, um, well, you didn't per, you haven't shown that how every single one of those nutrients interact with each other. So therefore we, your, your work is invalid. You're like, no. but why? I mean, 
<laughs> why is that even relevant? If we've right. shown that we've, and we've given everybody the same thing, we've given everyone the same combination of nutrients, you know, yes, that's a good question, a good scientific question, but it does not invalidate our, our randomized placebo controlled, perfectly done, just like a drug kind of trial. It doesn't right. negate that. Yeah, exactly. So, and a drug's going to have multiple different components to exactly. it as well. And that doesn't seem yeah. to matter. So it's a, just right. a different standard that is applied to this work uh, relative to, um, yeah. I mean, I, it, I've had people question whether or not I get funding from the companies that make the products. We get the product <laughs> and the matching placebo for free. That is it. As I explained right. earlier, um, I don't need to raise the money for my salary. Um, I've come up with very, very clever ways of keeping the cost down, which is mostly graduate students running a lot of this work. Um, so that is, that's cheap uh, from that right. perspective. Um, and there aren't a lot of costs associated with it. There's the, if you've got the product for free, then right. there's, there's some, uh, pharmacy costs maybe in the distribution, um, there's cost perhaps in mailing things. There's cost of we don't have to pay our participants the way you do in the United States. Uh, they do in the in the United States. Uh, we reimburse you know reasonably for their the cost of coming to visit us, but we're not allowed to pay them. So there's all these costs that exist in running trials overseas that don't exist in New Zealand. So that I really right. I've been able to run trials on you know less than a hundred thousand for a randomized control trial, and you kind of go really? Can you? Do yes, you can. Yeah. So um, PhD scholarships, that kind of thing, all kinds of, you know, there's just ways to, to make it work. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, no, yeah. I, I applaud you for how you're doing that. Um, let's speak to the cost, though, for society, though. You've yeah. proven or your studies Show, yeah. point to the direction that this is very mm. impactful and makes a change. Now, micronutrients are not expensive molecules yeah and they can't be patented yeah. um That's right. so kind of a mass scale like we talked about trillions of dollars in the global mm -hmm. brain and mental health yeah. fields yeah. um how much of an impact could micronutrients make to society then um well I think as a as an alternative treatment to psychiatric disorders for some people, and it's complicated, mm -hmm. David, because oh, yes. so many people are in psychiatric drugs, and that does mean yes. that does influence the outcome. All of our trials are done with medication-free people, so that is, and that's so that means much of our work doesn't apply to the population. If you think about twenty percent of the population being, you know, adult population being on an antidepressant. It does, the the you need to do cross tapering, which complicates the recovery. So if you but mm -hmm. if you think about it from the perspective of when you have someone present for the first time with a psychiatric disorder, then trying the nutrients first before medication to me is logical. Absolutely. Um, the cost though is covered. This is the difference, and the and and it varies from country to country. In New Zealand, the cost is covered by the person, the consumer not by the taxpayer. If you're right. put on a drug, that's covered by the taxpayer. Wow. So it the yep. Yeah. So the cost actually oh is falls on the consumer and they're not willing to fund it. So that's one of the big challenges is to get the cost covered by the taxpayer um, and not by the consumer. So that's a comp a and a a thing that I'm trying to address at the moment 
with politicians and the Ministry of Health is getting these things funded. They have agreed it's efficacious. So they acknowledge that. So they've, that's, a, that's a start, but they yeah. won't fund it. Um, and they, you know, they claim it's too expensive. And at the moment, you know, a bottle of these nutrients, and I don't know how much, they're about 200 New Zealand a month at the full dose in New, okay. in New Zealand, in Canada, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, 120, something like that. So if you're the consumer who's covering that, then you can kind of go, oh, that's a lot. And I don't even know if it's going to work. But if I say, here's Ritalin in New Zealand, that's paid for. But no, Ritalin right. is, is, is cheaper because it's off patent. So but cheaper at that level. But then you've got the cost of the psychiatrist who has to prescribe it. You've got the cost of having to monitor their heart if they're adults. Um, you, there are other costs that need to be incorporated. If micronutrients work for ADHD, you don't need any of that. Just take your vitamin pill, vitamin mineral pill and you're fine. And we've shown that over time exactly. that you stay well. So you, and you don't develop a whole host of other, other, other metabolic problems or, uh, you know, issues to do with weight gain or height suppression or all the other things that can happen. So that just doesn't happen with the vitamin and mineral. So you, you, I, you've got to do a longer term cost analysis to really get that this is cheaper. Does that make sense? So it's like, it makes, it makes a lot of sense from the research and, uh, and I guess from the politician side as well, yeah. to an extent, um, yeah. and the process and how slow it is. But for regular people, this is great information because this is what you can do for yourself. Exactly. Like the safety right. and efficacy is there. You can it, take control of your own health. It, and I know. You don't have to wait for the system to evolve around you and get rid of all the bugs and bureaucracy and, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I won't say payoffs, but pretty close to that happen in this this area. So um, it can be done today for people. And uh, I just really am excited that there's valid research now that was able to go through and then the excuses don't pile up. Oh, well, supplements don't have the same standards as this, or this Mm -hmm. nutrient's never been proven. It's like, there is science out there on it. And in fact, the status quo has multiple years of data of being pretty inefficient. The costs just keep going up for society. Exactly. So, and and we yeah. can only hope that that kind of penny dropping will happen at a, glo- a more global level. We just right. have to we just have to have hope that it's there's going to be this tipping point and when is it going to happen? I just hope it happens in my lifetime. Um, because it's yes. slow. I've been doing this for 17 years and so it is it's kind of like it it is titanically slow and and frustrating and more than frustrating because I also get attacked and um, discredited and um, or disbelieved or or oh dismissed oh that your studies are so small or yeah oh you get right. everything every single thing can to try to discredit this work or make it less important than it is and that's that's such an ongoing struggle oh, uh, to time. try to get the to get the and, the and legitimate thing. Re- 
Yeah. And people don't realize that the research world is emotionally a full contact arena. That mm -hmm. these are people who are going after somebody's head and mm -hmm. not in a gentle way. They want death and They're, death of a career <laughs> or, or of a paper. They so. certainly, they, I've seen it happen. So I've, I've seen in other areas of medicine, I've seen that happen. Um, and, and I think Bonnie has had it probably even more than I have in Canada. Wow. I think yeah. she's had a greater heart. She's had a, certainly more defamation happened to her than, than's happened to me. So, um, you know, she, good for her to keep going and, right. um, and, and, but she's also at a different stage in her career. I mean, she's now retired, so she can really do whatever she wants. Whereas I still have to protect my career. So I need to be <laughs> mindful, mindful of that. But at the same time, I have good support from my university. And, nice. um, and so that does make it very, a, a big difference is that you do have support from your community. I have, you know, there are definitely people who we've had a, we've made, um, we've changed lives in, in our community and overseas all over the world. So that does continue to keep me going and acknowledging that I know, I know it's making a difference, but you, I just want more. I want, I want this to be mainstream. I want this to yes. be on the political agenda. We have a, a, an election going right now. And the only thing that they can offer is just, okay, promises of we'll have more, we'll train more clinical psychologists. We'll, you know, we'll train more mental health workers. And you're like, you guys just don't get it. You don't no. get that if you really want to make a difference, it's not, I mean, and my work sits in that space, the micronutrient yes. work. But what I wanted to say earlier was that it's proof of principle that our food supply is inadequate. And really, if we want to make a difference is that we address that. So we address what people are eating because this is proving that what people are eating is not micronutrient rich. So it is saying that this ultra processed garbage that people are eating is not sufficiently providing the, the brain with the nutrients it needs. That's what we're proving at the end of the day, right? So we're really, right. really what our work does is it says we've got to at this right now, there's sufficient data showing ultra processed food is bad for our health and what, yes. what, and our work um, adds to the studies that are showing that ultra processed food is bad for our brain health. And so you've got this, di these different types of research studies, population studies, epidemiological studies, randomized control trials on diet. And then you've got our supplement studies. All of it collectively shows that what we're eating is not sufficient, sufficient for our brain needs. And so we've got to start treating. I mean, this is getting perhaps a little bit radical, but maybe not for your listeners, but we need to treat ultra processed food like we treated cigarettes. So we've got yes. to really address it at that level. And how do you change behavior on cigarettes? Well, really what worked was tax. Sorry. I mean, mm -hmm. I'd love to say education. I would, I mean, that's my, I'd my love to say location. it as well, but yeah. No. Um, but it doesn't, it's, it doesn't work. It does, no. uh, you know, it does for some people. Absolutely. But if you want to make a difference at a population level, you need to make it easier for people to make smart, healthy choices. You need to change the fiscal levers that exist in our society that make ultra processed foods cheap and real whole foods expensive. That environment needs to change. Otherwise we're not going to ever get anywhere because you have the cross crisis of the cost of living and, <laughs> 
people say, well, I can't afford to eat those real whole foods. I mean, we can argue against that and learn how to cook right. and learn how to use lentils and beans and eating in season and low eating local produce and all of that, which are going to bring down the costs. But at the end of the day, when you're standing in that supermarket and those, you know, ramen noodles or whatever they're called, ramen noodles are, you know, a dollar or 50 cents, I don't know, but, you know, super cheap. And then you're comparing that to fruits and vegetables. You, it doesn't, fruits and vegetables just don't right. taste chance. And I've got a, I've got another solution instead of the candy bars right at the till, let's put your book there and oh, let's sure. get people reading this and develop some yeah. awareness. And on yeah. that topic... Where do people find out more information about yourself, the research, and yeah. how they can be helped? Yeah, um, not hard. Um, unlike Bonnie Kaplan, who has to put, you know, to remind people, it's a fairly, um, you know, it's a, a, a more to sort of common name and that there's other Bonnie Kaplan's out there. There is no other Julia Rutledge out there. So if you Google me, you will you will hit everything, Your fa the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter or X or whatever that thing is now called, um, LinkedIn, um, you'll find me very, very easily. You can find the better brain that way. Uh, so not hard to track me down and all the work that I've done um, through, you know, Google Scholar. And if you want to know, get the specific publications, they're all on Google Scholar. So that's my advantage is I've got that unusual name uh, as long as you yes. spell it right. Yeah. All right. Definitely check everything out there. Um, also, I'm going to add one more to the list for people is that you had a TEDx talk mm -hmm. that has received 2.5 mm -hmm. million views. No, 5 million. No? 5, five million. million. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> so that was, it goes up. It's crazy. It goes up yeah. by a thousand a day or something. It's wow. really... Um, done well, despite that it's, you know, we could talk about its flag on there too. Um, <laughs> that's probably why it's done so well, is that it's been identified as I simplified legitimate studies at the end of the day. That was the only thing they could, um, they could, uh, you know, criticize that talk for, but they did want to have a much um, stronger flag on it because somebody had complained wow. about it. And that's important because, yeah, I've had friends that have had their TED Talks banned. And oh, wow. And little, little different things. So, um, Yes. Okay. Well, then so. I'm lucky there. Didn't get it banned, <laughs> but I certainly was put into that category of, you know, suspicious, suspicious work, despite... <laughs> But despite um, sending uh, Ted all of the uh, publications and and um, uh, right. evidence for this approach, they they, they actually amazing. sadly behaved very similar to um, dismissive reviewers. I was really disappointed with Ted. Wow. As an organization, because at the end of the day, you yeah. thought it was about spreading innovative ideas. It's only innovative mm -hmm. if they like them, and your and your supporters <laughs> like them. But yeah. um, if you want to read more about that, you can certainly I've 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 done blogs on that. I've done podcasts on that topic. So your listeners can go and hear about that if they're interested. And it sounds like there needs to be another book. <laughs> I, I don't so know what it we'll, is. We'll yet. put that out there. And yeah, we are going to post the links for the ones you have here and yeah. check Julie out. And for everyone listening. Stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders 
and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care. 